0: Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this show provides content curation as a service in the realms of security, technology, and humans. I spend between 5 and 20 hours a week consuming articles, books, and podcasts, so you don't have to, and each episode is either a curated summary of what i found in the past week or a standalone essay that hopefully gives you something to think about. All right, this is episode 165. Starting off with security news, the OpenAI team has created an algorithm that can write news stories so well that they're refusing to release it due to potential use in creating fake news. I get what they're doing here, but the odds of this not being co-developed by many other groups is close to zero over a span of months, I think. Here's an example of a fake story it wrote about national security. It's in the link here. It was about Miley Cyrus, I think. It basically, so the human wrote like three sentences. And the AI went and wrote a complete like little CNN type uh, summary. It was pretty short, but it was super clean. And it was only the second attempt by the AI to write the story. So super, um, super interesting. It, um, what they're worried about is that you could just seed this thing with very little content and it could just create tons and tons of fake, uh, stuff that sounds completely plausible with no human interaction. And that's why they're refusing to release it. I think both points are actually true that it's, it's silly because it'll be released anyway by other people. But if I were in charge of the team, I would probably do the same thing just because you don't want to be the one (laughs) who let it out, uh, you know, without thinking about it. Uh, People are concerned that Twitter may not be actually deleting DMs when you delete them in the interface. Someone pulled their data archive from Twitter and found their own deleted DMs inside of it. So it's like, well, how could that be there if I deleted them? Well, obviously they still have them. It's a good reminder that's probably smart to just consider anything you do online to be permanent. And a commenter added to just assume that it's not only permanent, but will eventually be public. Trend Micro and the Ponemon Institute created a cyber risk index, which ranks from negative 10 to 10. Strangely, the lower the number, uh, the better. Even though it's called a risk index. Um yeah, I I think I might have got this crossed up in multiple ways. A couple of people responded and said it was intuitive to them. Um, so I might be like twisting my mind around this. But um if you put it into a graph from left to right, the right side is better than the left side. Which um it just seems really counterintuitive to me. Um, it, I would think that you would want to be on the left because that's low risk. And you would not want to go to the right because that's high risk. And it would go from low to high. Um, and that would be intuitive to me. But evidently you're trying to get to the right and not be on the left. Which, anyway, it's uh, it seemed counterintuitive to me. But the Ponemon Institute does have you know, a good reputation. So maybe I'll take a second look at it. Someone found an open Chinese database online that was being used to track the location of millions of Uyghurs in the country. Between this, the re-education camp, the mass surveillance and social credit system, the nationwide censorship, uh, censorship firewall, and the colonization of Africa. It's obvious that they're kind of willing to do anything to win at this point in this real life game of civilization, basically. It seems to me like they've become morally belligerent. Drones will soon require visible license plates. Switzerland is doing a bug bounty on their e voting system. The Pentagon is worried about China and Russia fielding ground based lasers that can blind and otherwise disable. U.S. satellites and advisories this week. Ubiquity device DDoS potential uh, port 1001 is open, and if you send it a certain uh, UDP payload, it will respond back with um, a much larger payload, which of course is the hallmark of a good DDoS system. Um, and because there's so many out there, this is potentially being used for DDoS. 75 Adobe vulnerabilities, Android app tracking, uh, <laughs> yeah, SAP HANA, and leaks. Uh, There's another leak of like 620 million records for sale on the dark web. Technology news. If you refresh this website with uh, the link here in the newsletter, you'll get a human face, except... They're not real humans. They're AI-generated humans. And, and they're generated on the fly, which I thought was super cool. Uh, someone in, sent me a comment saying, um, how do you know they're generated on the fly? Uh, I, I think the answer is you just kind of trust the researcher um, based on the fact that the algorithm seems to be capable of doing that. Uh, It does seem a little bit strange because you would imagine the site being hit really, really hard. There's a fast uh, limit on it. So it seems to be like one per second or one every couple seconds. Because if you hit refresh multiple times, it won't give you a new one within like a second. So uh, it seems plausible to me. But, I mean, I don't have the ability to independently verify it without digging deeper. So it's a good question, but I don't have a reason to disbelieve right now. Chinese phones now make up a third of the European market. That's a crazy percentage to me. Um, and Huawei is actually has the top position. This is interesting given all the China stuff and all the Huawei stuff. And, you know, is Huawei being used as like this wedge to get into all these different Western markets, which can then be used as a, a weapon later on, either knowingly or unknowingly, to Huawei. Um, and then seeing like one third of the market in Europe uh, being, you know, Chinese phones with Huawei leading, that is quite interesting. Uh, one in six Americans wear a smartwatch. Sounds about right. think it's much higher in San Francisco. I could tell you that. Uh, Human news, student debt that's 90 or more days delinquent is now at $166 billion, which is an all-time high. Men who could do more than 40 push-ups had a 96% reduced risk of developing cardiovascular disease relative to men who could do less than 10 over a 10-year study. So, so they did a 10-year study. They measured push-up ability in the beginning and then looked at the end of the study to see who got cardiovascular disease. And it turned out that the people who in the beginning could do 40 push-ups had a 96% reduced risk. It was something like 36 out of 37. I think that might have been the number. Um, couldn't It didn't... Have the ability to do 40 push ups. Um, now, what this is not saying, which is the typical kind of media reading, is that in the middle of, <laughs> at any given moment, if you suddenly develop the ability to do 40 push ups, does that solve your problem? Um, that's not the way science works. Because um, really, w- really what this comes down to is. When you randomly take somebody who's able to do 40 push-ups, guess what? They're doing a lot of other stuff as well. <laughs> They're pro- they are probably—they might be runners. They might be, you know, rowers. They might eat really well. Um, anyway, it, no reason not to do push-ups. But it, it is a reason to be cautious about the, the outcome of studies and, and jumping to conclusions. Mars rover's uh, Mars rover Opportunity's last words, um, translated from the tech speak, of course, of what it actually said, something like, "My battery is low, and it's getting dark." It was a little robot that was only supposed to do, to work for actually ninety days, but it soldiered on for fifteen years, and. Evidently, there was a massive dust storm. The solar panels got covered. And after not being able to raise her, after many attempts, they sent her Billy Holiday's I'll be seeing you, um, and sent the shutdown command. It's strange how I get emotional about these types of things, but I'll definitely miss her. Um, one positive thing that I thought about after getting kind of emotional about it was like the robot didn't die. It's just sitting there and it's not like it hopefully didn't get smashed by like some media or something. It's just got dust on the solar panels and it's like sitting there. It's not like someone's going to come by and disassemble it and sell it. Uh, Unless they're aliens and that's, that's a different conversation. But, but um, the, the point is that it's not in danger. It's just, it's just, we can't talk to it right now because It's on another planet, which is weird to say. But um, the point is, it's not dead. It's just sleeping. And when we eventually get there, we could be like, oh, there you are. Dust it off and it boots up like like a friendly robot that uh, was sleeping. So that's positive. NASA and ESA are planning a mission to deflect an asteroid. And I think they're basically training for, you know, the real thing. Um, Hopefully Bruce Willis will still be alive when that happens. Uh, The Rise of the Corporate Technology Ecosystem. This is under Ideas, Trends, and Analysis. My new essay on how corporations will soon be our universal and subscription-based providers of everything from education to healthcare. And this, of course, is... I, I do think this is uh, possible. I don't know what I put this at. Uh, 40 to 90% possible. I don't know. Something like that. I, I think this is a uh, very real possibility. I, I would take a look at the uh, essay. But, I mean, the, the future is crazy. Path dependence is crazy. You, you never know how things are going to work out, obviously. Uh, One of the biggest problems right now with cybersecurity insurance is that the exceptions are too many and too large. Mondelez refused to pay on a cyber insurance policy for NotPetya on the grounds that that it was an act of war, which gets them out of it, according to them. Problem is with cybersecurity, these lines are extremely messy. Like, what is cyber war? Um, can any attack be considered part of a campaign which could be considered part of war? Uh, Especially cyber war, which no one could even agree on the definition for. So uh, if we can't say who's done what with any confidence, it gives lawyers for the insurance companies a lot of room to play with. A lot of irony here, of course, is that This will make cybersecurity insurance less popular, which is the opposite of ultimately what they're trying to do. Um, The problem here is they have no risk data on which to establish pricing, and the threats are both unknown and constantly in flux. This will keep cybersecurity insurance in an exploratory mode, I think for quite some time, but not forever. It's my prediction that they'll start asking for access to corporate data lakes and network taps before too long. And they'll use algorithms to determine inherent risks based on that. Companies won't like this, obviously, but they will want the protection of the policy, so they'll comply. This could actually end up being the way we uh, arrive at data-based database risk quantification, with insurance companies actually leading the way. Vendors will make claims about security, but insurance companies will be able to tell you what works and what doesn't because they'll be watching the wire, the data lake and the security outcomes. Part of me hates this because it's movement from magic to checklist. Like I was mentioning before, because they're going to be able to extract. Oh, yeah. If you do this, well, this correlates with success and it's basically just going to shoot holes through all the corporate or, or all the vendor marketing. But part of me loves it. Um, because it could be our actual best hope for actual efficacy in this insane industry. AR will spark the next big tech platform. Call it Mirror World. This is a piece on Wired, which was really good. It's actually by this guy named I think Kevin Kelly, who I read his book, uh 12 Trends for the Future or something like that. Uh It's it's a Wired piece. I really enjoyed it. Uh, For anyone who read my book, this this piece will sound quite familiar, but this focuses purely on the AR side of it. But uh, I, I do recommend it. Are intellectuals suffering a crisis of meaning? A fascinating discussion here about the relationship between gifted people and meaning. Really enjoyed that. Junk food and Betty Boop are examples of super normal stimulus, where something artificial attracts the attention of our evolution trained sensors and basically dominates over the natural ones. So, exaggerated versions of natural things that we can form an addiction to. The piece talks about how, like, porn and hentai can be examples of this, where you could draw a cartoon that looks like more attractive than a human just because it's maximizing on the things that evolution is looking for. And you're not part of the conversation. It's just speaking directly to evolution inside of you. Um, So it's like porn for, oh, and junk food. This was the coolest part was the junk food part (coughs) (coughs) where, um, where the junk food was basically just like porn for the calorie sensors. And that's why it's hard for regular food to compete with it. So you have like a really good, normal, whatever, organic meal, and it just kind of tastes kind of bland compared to whatever junk food you prefer. Uh, And it's basically the example of this super normal stimulus. I thought it was a cool concept. Why you should be an engineer or political scientist or social scientist first and then get into data science rather than calling yourself a data scientist. I really like this analysis and it reminds me that you seldom go into a job interview and say you're good at math. And the interview says, great, um, math doing what? And you're like, oh, just math, you know, math stuff, all the maths, whatever you need with math, that's what I do. So data science is like writing or speaking in that way. Um, It's a powerful tool to put to use in doing a project or in a field or towards an ends, but it doesn't seem tremendously descriptive to just be a data scientist by itself. I think it's powerful to say that you could find truth from data and you could do that in multiple fields, but perhaps that should come after a description of the type of problems that actually interest you. Discovery. Dolphins get high on pufferfish, evidently. They <laughs> they go down, get a puffer fish, put it in their mouth, like bite it so the toxins release into their bodies. And then they just kind of float around and look at like sparkles on the water. And they do it with their friends. Um, I should have put that in human news because this is extremely human. Um, Amazon r- released five bare, new bare metal instance types. So these are actual bare metal boxes, but run as Amazon instances. Um, I would love one of these, but I'm sure they're massively expensive. Uh, machine learning data set preparation. This is pretty cool. Um, related to an article I saw, I think I have somewhere here talking about, um, how data science has completely changed and it's like 85% data prep. So this was good link about that. And Kali, Kali, uh, 2019.1 has been released. It's got Metasploit 5 in it. Notes. Uh, The first thing I thought of with the AI face generator above was an image generator for a modern-day role-playing game. Um, You always need faces. Um, Well, it's nice to have faces for extra context for like a role-playing game. Like, oh, this is what your bad guy looks like. This is what you look like or whatever. And it's not fun to do that with faces that people know because – it just, it crosses worlds like, no, my character doesn't look like Anthony Hopkins because that's already a person where this thing makes completely realistic looking people and they're not real. So that's exactly what you would need from a character in a role playing game. Uh, I finished reading the master switch and it was glorious it was all about the history of information empires up to and including the internet, which is going on now fascinating stuff. And it has me wanting to learn a lot more about history. And I'm currently finishing uh, the book. uh, This will make you smarter. And I think I'm like an hour from finishing that, which to remind you is a collection of like, dozens, maybe even hundreds of essays. It's like, it's like 24 hours of listening or something like that. Um, and it's just essay after essay after essay about a single discrete concept. Um, but really, really cool format for a book. Recommendations. These are my favorite four podcasts. Pretty sure I can remember them. It's Risky Business. It's this podcast it's um, A16Z, and it is Sam Harris's podcast, Making Sense. So those are the f- four that I recommend. Uh, so a lot of people are like, oh, I'm getting into podcasts. What should I listen to? Those are the four I recommend for coverage over tech, startups, uh, the future of tech type conversation, which is And the interaction with humans, which is what this one is. And then Sam Harris for like pure intellect. Conversations with intellectuals dealing with like the most important topics. That's why it's a good set of four. And the aphorism for this week. People don't seem to realize that their view of the world is also a confessor of character. People don't seem to realize that their view of the world is also a confessor of character. Ralph. Waldo Emerson. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. And don't forget, you can also get the show, including all the links to the things I mentioned, in text form by signing up for the email newsletter at danielmeisler.com newsletter or via the blog post for each episode. I'll see you next time.